You can go ahead and turn to Psalm 19 in your scriptures. Psalm 19, that's where we're going to be. Of course, we continue this series in the Psalms called Songs for Sinners. And this morning we get to look at Psalm 19. Confucius said this, everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. Somebody's gotten that in a fortune cookie before, probably. Is that a true statement? Everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. This world is a beautiful place, and we would do well to stop a little bit more, to observe the beauty in creation, particularly today when we're so digitally preoccupied, right? We're always on our phones, we're always doing this or that, and we sometimes just need to look up and be like, wow, God's creation. A lot of parents are, the only thing they ever see of their children is through a phone while they're video recording it. <laughs> you know? just, just enjoying the world around us and taking in the beauty. I read an article recently about our digital obsession and how to address that. And the author had a really neat idea. He said, every morning when I get up, what's the first thing that you do? Well, usually you turn off your alarm on your iPhone or your, you know, your phone and then a lot of us go right into reading some news stories, maybe doing some devotions on our device or tablet, whatever. He said, what I've started to do is just step outside and look at God's creation, even if it's for five seconds, if it's really cold out, <laughs> just to see, okay, this is where I am. Now let me get into my stuff for the day. I thought that was a really good idea. I've tried to start doing that and I, I go out back and, and just spend some time with the Lord, but I, I just first look at the sky, just kind of say, oh yeah, that's right. It's not just me and my little world. I'm part of something much bigger here. And when you do that, you start to notice things. Like the other day, there was a little hummingbird that came over and was just chilling there. And they're fascinating creatures, aren't they? I don't know how they don't get tired. But he actually did stop. He, she, whatever, I don't know. It stopped on a plant and just sat there. And I was like, I've never seen a hummingbird sit before. Um, you just start to see things. The other day I was weeding, and while weeding, I noticed that some of the weeds were clovers, which were perfectly symmetrical. And you kind of need to find some beauty when you're weeding. So I'm like, that is, even these weeds that I don't want are beautiful. What Confucius said is true, but I think there's a bigger problem. Because certainly every human being has seen beauty. At one time in their, their life, they've seen beauty. We value beauty. Beauty resonates with our soul. So every human has seen beauty. What I believe is the bigger problem is that people see beauty, but they fail to see the creator in that beauty. All the beauty in the world, whatever form, it points to a God who is glorious, who is magnificent, who is beyond our imagination, who is creative, beyond what we can comprehend. For a lot more on that topic, you can check out Pastor Steve's book, Eyes Wide Open. It's in our little bookstore out there. Uh, he, he goes on a, a, a bunch about that. But that brings us to Psalm 19, where we're going to see two displays of God's beauty that most of the time are underestimated by people. So let's look at Psalm 19. Now, we already had a student read it. So I don't think I need to go through reading it, but I'll read some of the, the scriptures as I get to them. And I do want to just read verse 14, because I want 14, verse 14 to be the prayer of my heart as I share this sermon. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19, one of the clear things we see from Psalm 19 is that God is not distant. He's revealed himself. 
A lot of people come to Bethel with a religious background, but they don't fully understand the idea of a relationship with God. They hear people talk about that, right? A relationship with God. And they say, well, what does that mean to have a relationship with God? How do you, how do, you do that? Well, any relationship starts with getting to know each other, getting to know somebody. And the beautiful thing is God has revealed himself to us throughout creation and throughout his scriptures, which is what we're going to see this morning. But God is not distant. He is not just up there somewhere. He didn't just wind us up, wind the universe up and let it go. No, according to Psalm 19, he has shown himself all over the place. And every day people fail to see the glory of God, but it's not because of a failure on God's part. God has sufficiently revealed himself all over the place. So let's look at two specific categories. First, God has revealed himself in creation everywhere. In creation everywhere, verses 1 through 6 of our text. And you see this, right? One crystal clear place where God has revealed himself is in the heavens, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky, that's the word firmament in Genesis 1, the sky, the expanse, proclaims his handiwork. So the sky. Is there a more natural place to see beauty, a more natural beauty than the skies above us. You just look up and you see beauty. Sunrises, sunsets, all around Cedar Lake, people try to see the sunrise, see the sunset, because it is a beautiful thing. In fact, I have a picture. Where is this? Somewhere exotic? No, it's Cedar Lake. (laughs) You know, there's beauty even in Cedar Lake, right? I was out there six in the morning. Uh, we were doing some wakeboarding and man, was it beautiful. There's a picture right before this. I don't have it here, but it's the pinks and wow. You know, God is revealing himself all over the place. And one of the clear ways he reveals himself is in the sky. Everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. Indiana skies are beautiful. Now, those of you who grew up in the Midwest, I guess this is normal. But for, for me, coming from Pennsylvania, coming from the East Coast, mountains, trees, I mean, you, you don't often see the expanse of the sky. But one thing we've learned a, a, after moving here was you get to see the sky more. You get to see sunsets in a more brilliance. Because I guess half the time where I come from, there was something blocking it. I don't know, a house, a tree, a mountain. But now it's like, and when a storm rolls through... That is cool to see just this, the sky with all the clouds and the lightning and the thunder. And according to Psalm 19, the sky speaks without speaking. If you look at verse 1 through 4, eight times, eight times there's a word that has to do with voice, speech, proclaims. I mean, it's, it's very clear to us here that the sky is speaking, but it's not saying a word. And it's speaking 24-7 all the time, day to day, it says, and night to night. So in the day, we see a sunrise. We see something like a rainbow. I saw a double rainbow the other week. Uh, Beautiful. At night, we have the stars. We have the planets. All the time, 24-7, the sky is speaking. In every language, the Bible says, there is no speech nor other words whose voice is not heard. So the beauty of creation is translingual. It doesn't matter what, you, what language you speak. You can look at the sky and you can see the beauty and you realize that God exists. It speaks bountifully. The word in verse 2, 
pours out speech. That, that word there is the idea of a, a fountain that's gushing forth. So all the time, day and night, bountifully, the sky is speaking without ever saying a word. So I was staring at the sky this week trying to think, what is the sky saying? If, if Scripture says the sky speaks, what is it saying? What do people hear in their heart as they look at the sky? Whatever language they speak and they look at that sky, what are they thinking about in their heart? And I think things like this, wow, the sky is big. Maybe I'm not as big as I thought I was. Or what's beyond the skies? Or man, the sky is beautiful. I wonder if somebody designed it. Is he watching me? Does he know all my thoughts, even the ones that no one else knows about? These are the things that people think about, I believe, regardless of what nation they come from. Is this storm a display of his power? Is he angry with me? What does he want me to do while living on this earth? And so this is happening, you know, every day as people go about their business and yeah, they, you know, they're on their phone, they're driving around, but once in a while they look up and they think, maybe there's something else beyond that sky. Many a person has begun to contemplate these types of thoughts and it leads some to cry out to God and say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me because I, I don't know, maybe you are real. And yet most seem deaf to this verbose proclamation that the sky is making all the time. God has revealed his beauty in the skies. Also, according to the text, the sun, if you notice in verse four, five, and six, we have the sun really highlighted here. And the sun is compared to a couple things, compared to a bridegroom, compared to a strong man who runs a race with joy. And think about the sun. The sun isn't struggling. It's not like, oh, I don't know if I can get over it. It just does its thing every day, you know, east to west. Is that right? East to, yeah, east to west, right? And actually, east, yeah, okay. Got a chance to run a race with a couple guys from this church the other week. Um, We have a picture of that. Uh, Yeah, so we're all smiling after the race. It's as if we did it effortlessly with joy, like a strong man running a race. Of course, if you would have seen, you know, just a little bit earlier, (laughs) some of us weren't smiling. Some of us were very tired and very exhausted and barely made it through some of the obstacles and that kind of thing. But I saw some guys that day and some ladies who didn't seem to be struggling. They were like, it was like effortless, right? Uh, They've been doing this their whole life. I don't know. And you can get off of that picture now if you want. (laughs) But we, we... struggle. The sun never struggles. The sun does its thing from morning to night. It just rises and it, and, it, and it sets. And that's a picture of God's faithfulness. We'll talk about that in a second. But people have noticed the beauty of the sun since the beginning of time. And in fact, you know, sometimes people have looked at the sun and thought, man, the sun is big. The sun is powerful. The sun is hot. And it's caused people to worship the sun. In many cultures, Throughout time, people have worshipped the sun because it seems to be one of the most powerful things in our universe. What many have failed to realize is that as big and powerful as the sun is, it's simply a handiwork of God, according to the scriptures here. It is, it's a project, an art project that God accomplished by just speaking. That's all he did. He spoke and boom, there was his art project. Now parents, school is starting, right? 
And you know that stress of when kids come to you and go, oh, I got a, I got a project due tomorrow. And you're like, okay, well, everything's closed. I don't even know what to, and, and, and there's that stress that you feel. God didn't feel any stress when he made this universe. He didn't feel a bit of stress. All he did was speak and ex nihilo, out of nothing, the universe was formed. That's what God does. That's how he creates. There is a solar eclipse coming up. Didn't you guys know that? Some of you, like our dear Harry Beamer, have been planning this for like, I don't know, five years or something. Some of us just found out like right now, but some of you are trying to order glasses on Amazon uh, there's a solar eclipse coming up. It's a big deal, apparently. That is going to be a display of the power of God. It's going to be a display of the beauty of God. Millions of people will stop in the middle of the day and they will gaze up at the heavens and they will see complete darkness for two minutes, two and a half minutes, whatever. And it truly will be glorious. It will be beautiful. And yet most people are going to miss the real beauty, aren't they? The NASA website says this. This is interesting. It says the moon's size and distance contribute to a wonderful coincidence for those of us who live here on earth. The moon is about 400 times smaller than the sun. Did you know that? But it also just happens to be about 400 times closer. The result is that from earth, they appear to be the same size in a a solar eclipse. That's God's design. Notice from verse 1 here, the heavens declare the glory of God. It's not just glory, it's God's glory. The glory of God. God owns that glory. It is His. How many people around the world have stood on a mountaintop or at the edge of an ocean and they've looked at it and they've said, wow, it's glorious. Or there are the mountains in all their glory. Without thinking about what they're saying, whose glory is it? Is it the mountains that have glory? If you Google glorious, I do this sometimes. I'll take a word from a sermon and I just want to know what does pop culture think about it? What comes up when I Google glorious? Well, the first thing is the definition of glorious. And the second thing is a song by Macklemore that he just put out where he like pushes his grandma around and they have a great day and it's touching, whatever. And, and, and the main point of the song really is this and that is that you know, fame and money aren't the most important things in the world. Relationship and enjoying each other is the most important thing, and that's what makes you feel glorious. And you know he's getting there, but he's so far away, right? Because God is glorious. God is the only one who deserves the title of glorious. And according to Psalm 19, creation perpetually declares the glory of God all the time. There it is. And this psalm only focuses on the heavens. There are so many other nooks and crannies where God's beauty can be seen. You have, you know, you have things in the ocean, You have the galaxies. You have, uh, I mean, so many things. The human body. All of creation is one continual praise song to God. But there is one exception to this. And that one exception to this is humanity. Mankind is the only creation that refuses to bring glory to God. The only creature that willfully steals glory away from God and hoards it for itself. The rest of the universe does not do that. This is because the fall of mankind has crippled our ability to please God. Sin entered the world, and now that sin has entered the world, we are unable in our own strength to please God. Instead, we desire the glory for ourselves. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, apart from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, mankind is unable to glorify his creator. Now, mankind shows beauty, and mankind is made in the image of God, so we still see God there. 
But until our soul is revived, verse 7, until our eyes are enlightened, verse 8, we cannot fulfill our true purpose of bringing glory to God by pleasing Him. Even David, verse 12 through 14, even David as a believer is wrestling with his own sin and his inability to please God. He says in verse 12, this rhetorical question, he says, who can discern his errors? Who who can possibly know all the things that are wrong about oneself? That's a rhetorical question. That means that we cannot. We cannot possibly even know all of our errors, all of the things inside of us that do not please God. This word errors is committing error or sin inadvertently without meaning to, without even knowing that we do it. David is saying that there are many sins which we are not even aware of. So here's the really scary thing. here's Here's the bad news. We are more sinful than we realize. Even when we strive to avoid all the willful sins and we we try hard not to do the things that we know displease God, we have these hidden faults, verse 12. Hidden faults that we don't even know about. I got thinking about this during the week and it's a pretty sobering, um, convicting thing. And then I read uh, something from Charles Spurgeon and that didn't help at all. He said this, the transgressions which we see and confess are but like the farmer's small samples which he brings to market when he has left his granary full at home. Well, thanks, Spurgeon, for that encouraging word. Yes, I am more sinful than I realized. And then verse 13, there's even these presumptuous sins when we sin proudly, defiantly, knowing what we're doing. I wonder if any in here are actively engaging in presumptuous sins. You know that God doesn't want you to do this or that, but you're doing it anyway. There is such a thing as a darker sin, sins that are, have more gravity to them. They have more consequences. David understood this well when he speaks of presumptuous sins. David struggled, right? He committed adultery and he murdered a man and he understood what it was like to commit presumptuous sins. And when we consider that David wrote these words and we remember his struggles that he had, there's a need for a greater David, right? There's a need for a greater David whose every word of his mouth and every meditation of his heart was acceptable to his God. That, of course, is Jesus Christ, who's shadowed in verse 14. In verse 14, we're talking to God and we're saying, oh, Redeemer. Well, how does God redeem but through Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is that greater David. He is the one whose words always please the Lord, whose heart always honored God. So praise the Lord. God's grace is greater than our sin. This is a series, Songs for Sinners. So we got to talk about sin, right? And here's the sermon in a nutshell, if you want to write anything down. The remedy for our sin is the revealed word of God. We're all sinners, more than we realize, but the remedy for our sin is the revealed word of God. So here's where we take a turn from bad news to good news, okay? We cannot read Psalm 19 and miss the star of the show, which is the word of God. His word is sufficient to expose our sin, to enlighten our eyes, and revive our soul. As beautiful as this universe is, and this universe is beautiful, it is magnificent. As beautiful as it is, it is unable, it is inept to be able to redeem or save us. We cannot even see the gospel by simply looking at the sky. There's a limitation to natural revelation. Natural revelation, how God has revealed himself through nature, it it can only show us that there is a God And at best, Scripture says it can convict us 
and call us guilty because we should know better. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them in the sky, in the sun, everywhere else. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. But this is not enough to save because scripture also says in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So unless we have this, which points to Christ and the gospel, we don't have enough to save us. We need God to reveal himself and he's done that. Thankfully, this is the remedy right here. So God has revealed himself in creation everywhere, but he's revealed himself in scripture perfectly, verse seven through 11, perfectly. And if you just look at seven through 11, this little portion of scripture, it explains to us how beautiful the word of God is. Verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect. Well, there's not many things in the world that we can say that about, are there? Perfect? In fact, I was struggling to think of anything we would ever say that is perfect. Unless you're saying that day was perfect or, oh, you're perfect to me, sweetheart. But it's still not perfect. It's still not without flaw, right? This is the only thing, God, and then revealed in his word that is perfect, without flaw. So I want to look at the beauty of the Bible that this text highlights. And I believe with all my heart that this book is beautiful. I believe that. That's why I do what I do. That's why I've given myself to preaching and teaching and applying this to my life and the life of others. Every last page is beautiful. And when we come to Psalm 19 here, it's kind of neat because here David is describing the beauty of Scripture and he's doing so with language that a lot of people say is some of the most beautiful poetry in the whole Bible. So we have beautiful poetry that's telling us that the Scriptures are beautiful. And you could look at the symmetry and you could look at the parallelism and you could look at the way that the, the, the original language is. And it's, it's pretty neat. You also have these vivid metaphors. You see these in the scriptures here about the word of God. And we'll get to those in a second. But just notice what the Bible is. This is wor- these are words right out of the text. You can see verse 7 through verse 11. The word of God is perfect. The word of God is sure. The word of God is right The word of God is pure, clean, and true. The word of God is perfect. And then you have these metaphors, right? What is the word of God like? How how does God describe it? How does David put it into these beautiful words? Well, he says first, it's like gold. It's to be desired more than gold, more than riches. What is desired more than riches today? What do people desire more than money who has ever, you don't have to raise your hand, who has ever fantasized about winning a million dollars and what you would do with it? I'll oh, see, how far would it go? What kind of house would I? Who's ever imagined, what if I was rich? I remember as a small boy, I was at camp, summer camp, and me and some buddies were in our cabin and we got this candy bar and the candy bar, it, it said you could win, I think it was like a million dollars. I don't know, it might, maybe it was a thousand, but to a kid, it seemed like a million, but you could win this. And, and, you know, and so we're all, I don't know what, we're all jumping around the cabin. We're like, maybe we won. What are we going to do if we won? And we're like jumping off the beds and we're, okay, you can have that much. You can have that much. And we're all psyched up for it. And he opens the wrapper and uh, it, 
It said, it said something like he started to open it, it said, you won, right? So then we just went crazy all over the place. And he opened it all the way up and it said, you won another candy bar. And we were like, <sighs> but that excitement that I had, that's what I'm supposed to have about the scriptures. The fact that if, if I have this in my hands, I should be jumping off the bed. I mean, maybe not when I'm 39. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I should be so excited and so, this should be so valuable to me that I'm saying, I have everything I need. It is precious. And it's also like honey, the text says, like honey. The word of God is described as the sweetest thing. Now, I love sweet things. Any of you guys love, have a sweet tooth that is, my dentist loves me because I have a sweet tooth like, like crazy, right? Honey. I got to try some, some Michigan blueberries and peaches recently. That was, those were awesome, right? Sweet, delicious. And David's point is this, the word of God is precious. It is pleasurable. Isn't that what he's saying right here? That it's, it's sweet. We should enjoy it. We should love it. We should, we should take joy in it. Is that something that's like, okay, God, read the devotions this morning. All right. I mean, sometimes that's how we approach it. I get it. Me too. But it's so sweet. It's enjoyable. And notice the synonyms that David uses for the word of God, much like Psalm 119 that Pastor Steve preached a few weeks back. These are the words that David uses about the word of God. He says, law, testimony, precepts, commandments, and rules. These rules are sweet. His rules are pleasurable. God's commandments are for our good. And this is something that I say to every one of us, and, and especially students in here, Student Takeover Sunday. And I know it's hard for you to believe at your stage in life, sometimes you're very skeptical about this. Hey, us adults are skeptical too. His commandments are for our good. They're truly for our good. The law was not meant to be a crushing burden on us that would eliminate joy and be impossible some people think that the Old Testament was that. It was designed for people to fail just so Christ would be magnified. And I don't believe that's exactly uh, articulated correctly. In fact, if you read David and you read his, his Psalms, you see something. You see a man who loved God's law, who enjoyed God's commandments. It wasn't meant to be a crushing burden. The Pharisees made that. The Pharisees made the Bible crushing and a burden that no one could, could carry. So we should not look at God's word as burdensome. Like we're ruled by the law. I got to do this and I can't do that. And I'm just, I'm ruled by it. In fact, verse 13 shows us that the law is a grace to keep us from being ruled by sin. So it's not meant to rule us like a taskmaster. It's meant to keep us from the rule or dominion of sin. Verse 13, the law is a grace. The Bible is a grace to us. You can say it this way. God's commandments are not barriers to imprison us, but barriers to protect us, Right? That God's commandments are not barriers to imprison us, to make us feel, you know, all boxed in, but they're barriers to keep us from harm. Now, it's one thing for me to get up here and say that, okay, to put it up on the screen. It's another thing for me to get this into my heart. And I'm still working at this every day of my life, not just when I was a teenager, but now as, as an adult for many years here, I still struggle with this. I still feel like, man, you know, I, I got to do this. Can't do that. No, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is keeping me. And, and I will say, the older I get, the more I wise up a little bit. And I start to go, you know what? 
God has been right every single time. Like out of the 10,000 times that I thought, hmm, is this really right? 10,000 times it turned out to be right. <laughs> what makes me such a fool that I think that this time is going to be different? We were out last night and I got a chance to, to hang out with Dan Jacobson and, and his family, campus pastor at HP, and his little son, Miles, so desperately wanted the soda that was sitting in, in, in their boat. And, and, and Dan said, no, you can't have the soda. It's going to rot your teeth out. You're too small. You're going to spill it all over grandpa's boat and, and this whole thing. And uh, Miles was relentless. He just kept going after the soda. And, and Dan said, you can't possibly understand this, son, why I can't let you have this, right? It was such a good picture. And, and then I'm thinking, well, now that my kids are older than that, they still struggle to believe that our rules are for their good, right? Students, you, you struggle to believe that, right? That the rules that your parents have set are for your own good. And let's not throw stones because us adults still struggle to believe that God's commandments are for our good. But they are like honey. They're to be enjoyed. They're to, to protect us. We'll see that in a second here. The text talks about warning signs. You can think about it this way. Think about prison bars. If you are inside of a prison cell, those bars are for your containment. They are to keep you in. But those of us who drive around a prison, maybe live next to a prison, are sure glad that those bars and those walls are there, right? Because you don't want that getting to you. And this is the way that God's commandments are. They are designed to keep you away from what will harm you. I also want you to look at verse 1 through 6 and consider the possibility that maybe there's some metaphors here as well. Many commentators believe that the sun and the sky are also metaphors for Scripture. And I think there's something to this. There's a connection. If you look at verse 6 and verse 12, the word hidden is used. And in verse 6, you have this idea of the sun. Nothing is hidden from its heat. It, it, it gets to everything. And in verse 12, you see that we, need, we have these hidden faults. We have these hidden sins that we can't discover. How do we discover those? Well, through the scriptures, through the word of God, which unveils them. The word of God is penetrating. It is searching. It is illuminating Hebrews 4 says it's like a two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from its sight. That's what Scripture is like, just like the sun. And in verse 2 and verse 9, we also have this idea of faithfulness. Verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. And that word true means faithful. It means you can count on it. It means it, it, it always happens. And so it is with the sun. Every morning the sun comes up, day in and day out. Night, and it says in the text, if you look back, day to day and night to night. That sun is faithful. And scripture says that's a symbol of God's faithfulness, right? The rules of the Lord are true. Now, here's something that's unique about God. Because in this day and age, all the other gods lowercase g, were fickle, they were finicky, they, they were unpredictable. And, and, and the psalmist is saying, David is saying, God's commandments are true. They don't change, they're faithful, they can be counted on. So we know what God likes and we know what God hates and that never changes. Well, that's a big deal because if you were living in that day and you were worshiping another God, it depends on his mood. It depends on how he feels. And that's not a kind of God that you want to serve. But with our God, he's given us his word and we know what he loves and we know what he hates and that's never changed. And that is a pretty awesome thing to think about, the faithfulness of God. 
So here's another point for you. Because God has revealed himself, we know how to please him. Because he's revealed himself, not just through creation, but also through this book, we know how to please him. That's important. Because the remedy for sin is the revealed word of God. By studying this book, we know how God wants us to live so that we can take part in creation and continue to declare the glory of God. Creation is doing it, and we join in that when we abide by what God has told us. And this is what David wants so desperately. Look at verse 14. Doesn't David crave this? And he says, as the deer pants for the water, Psalm 42. So my, my heart pants for you. But look at verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. That's all David wants. That's what he wants is to please God. And the problem is his sin, which he can't even search out. And so he needs this book. And so do you. And so do I. And notice that it's enough, it's sufficient to help us please God outwardly and inwardly, both outwardly and inwardly, because the words of my mouth are representative of everything I say, everything I do, my, my behavior, and the meditation of my heart is inside of me, my motives, where my actions and my words come from in the first place. It's one thing to clean up our words and our actions and that's a hard enough task that we spend our entire life trying to do. But to get to the heart, to, to get to our motives and why we're, doing what our, why, why we're doing what we're doing. And remember, we're more sinful than we realize. Our sin begins in the heart. And so the only way to remedy it is to have heart change. And thankfully, that's exactly what Scripture does. Look at the power of the Bible here in the, in the text. What does the Bible do? We've seen what it is. You know, it's like honey it's, it's, it's sweet, right? We also now see what it does. It's like gold, it's like honey. What does it do though? Verse seven, it revives the soul. You and I need that. We need our soul revived. I try to pray this prayer every single morning before I read some scripture. I, I, I say, God, please revive my soul because I, I know this scripture and I know that scripture does this. It revives my soul. So I'm asking God, God, please revive my soul. I need that. Please renew my mind. Recapture my heart. Prayers like this because I need it every single day. In verse seven, it brings wisdom. It makes wise the simple. We can learn how to please God. So wisdom isn't just knowing this stuff. Wisdom is applying it to life, taking this word and making it happen in life. It brings joy, verse 8. Right? It brings joy. And don't we need joy? We need joy. And some of you right now, that's exactly what you need. You're just struggling with discouragement, depression. Joy is found in the word of God. Now, it's not magical. You don't open it, read five minutes, and now all of a sudden depression has gone. It doesn't work that way. God allows some to struggle through those times for quite a while. But it does bring joy. It brings a reason for living. It brings hope. And verse 8, notice it also opens our eyes. It, it, it takes the blinders off so we can see the world as God wants us to see the world. Not through the lens that the world has. Not seeing the warped, disfigured beauty of sin, but rather seeing the true beauty of the world. Seeing creation as we should see creation seeing the word of God as we should see the word of God, seeing other people the way we should see other people. So it opens our eyes. And then one other thing it does, it warns and it guides us. 
See that in the text here? It warns and guides us. It says that right in verse 11. Moreover, by them, by your commandments, by your testimonies, by your statutes, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Warning signs. Now, you see a lot of warning signs up different places. My favorite warning signs come from other countries. Got to go to Europe a few different places, and I, I just love their warning signs because they, they show, to me, kind of funny stuff. It wouldn't be funny if it really happened. But I remember one, we were on a dock. We were by the, by the, by the sea, by the ocean, and it had a picture of a car driving off the dock, like in midair, and I'm like, that's hilarious. Now, if that happened, that would be not hilarious, but... I just love how they portray things. It's like, matter of fact, this is going to happen if you keep driving. Don't do that. And it's a warning sign to keep you from doing something crazy. Uh, we had a minivan, and it had, I think it was the minivan, and it had a little warning in the door jam. As you open the door, it had this little warning, and it, it showed a picture of a person, their head getting hit by the corner of the door. And I remember saying to my wife, who would be so stupid to like hit their head on the corner of the door like that? And that happened to me. I hit my head on the door and I was like, that's exactly why the warning sign is there, right? Warning signs are important. They guard us. They, they, they keep us. One of the things in Indiana that's kind of wacko to me is sometimes you come upon a, a railroad tr- crossing and sometimes there's arms and sometimes there's not arms. What is going on with that? Like I, the, I was driving on one and there was this little faint little light blinking. I didn't even really notice it. It just kind of was like blended in the background. And then I heard a train. I'm like, Oh, okay, train's coming. And I came to a stop because I heard the train. I'm afraid of what would happen if I didn't hear the train. No arm, no, no, nothing to, to keep me. And I'm like, that's not right. But scriptures are that. Scriptures guard us and warn us. It's like that arm that comes down on the railroad cross. And it says, don't, don't go there. You don't want to get hit by a train. And so we cannot ignore scripture. We cannot let, let sin run us over. We have to, to say, okay, God, You've told me to do this and you've told me not to do this and I, I don't know exactly why. And, and again, I'm speaking specifically right now to teenagers because when you're young, you haven't lived a long time yet and you're just, you're just struggling to believe that that's really best. And I'm just saying, it's like a railroad crossing arm. It's, it's, it's coming down and you can go ahead and go beyond if you want. But God says, this guards you, this keeps you, this protects you. And then it rewards you, verse 11, right? Scripture rewards us. It's worth it. It's better than gold. This right here is better than gold. Now these Torah Psalms are so important for our day and age, I believe, and they, they always have been. The sufficiency of Scripture is under attack. Again, nothing new. The, the, the world has always attacked the sufficiency of Scripture. But you know, today one of the things I see is everyone can have a blog. Everyone can get on social media and pontificate and exp, you know, tell you about the wisdom that they have. And so we're taking in a lot of stuff. If we're not careful, sometimes we go to all of that stuff rather than here. This is true. This never changes. It is sent by God. It is God's revelation. And there's a lot of wisdom out there. I mean, hey, I started with a Confucius quote, okay? Guilty here. But the point is, hey, there's a lot of beauty out there. There's a lot of wisdom out there. But this right here is true wisdom. This is truth. So we got to be careful not to say, oh man, this, that guy's awesome. Or you, watch, you listen to that podcast, he's amazing. Did you, you know, the word of God is, is what we need to, to clutch onto. It's the sufficiency of scripture. Psalm 19, Psalm 119, these Torah Psalms, they teach us that scripture is sufficient. It's all we need for life and godliness. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. 
and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or mature, equipped for every good work. So what does that mean? That means that Scripture is all I need, technically speaking, to do what God wants me to do. Hey, there's a lot of great, valuable things out there besides Scripture, but all I'm saying is the sufficiency of Scripture. Let us, let us be careful about a day where information is so plentiful that you can get an answer to anything you need online. This is what is sufficient for godliness. And I end with a, a little plug here for our ministry called Awana, because Awana is something that we do here. And, and I'm not sure if everyone even knows what Awana is. Awana is a children's ministry that, that Bethel does at all of our campuses, and it's designed to teach kids the scripture. They memorize a lot of, a lot of scripture verses, and we do it here. Uh, we're going to be starting it up soon, and so on Thursday evenings. Now, in case you don't know what Awana is, it's a time where they get together, have some games. Um, they, they actually take some focused time to memorize scripture, and they, oh, there we go. Yeah, perfect. Good. Uh, it's coming up, okay? So... I just want to encourage you. I've heard that some of you come from backgrounds where there's a program called Calvinettes and something else. What's it called? Cadets and Calvinettes. Hilarious name. Anyway, <laughs> I, heard, I heard it's an awesome program though. I heard, I, I'm not knocking it at all. A, a little bit like that. If you, if, if you know that but you don't know Awana, it's kind of like that. It's a children's ministry that focuses on scripture, focuses on learning the word of God. It's awesome. And I just want you to know that, that we value that here. And we hope that you can get excited about that because you know that when you bring your kid to that, bring your child, they're going to hear the word of God. They're going to learn the word of God. And if this is what is sufficient for godliness, our kids have to know the word. They have to know the word. And so I would encourage you parents, please bring your kids to that. Check it out. Volunteer if you can. And then it's also, a, a, I just want to mention Verge because our student ministry is important. Our student ministry is important because they're training students to, to base their life on this. Not to, not to go with the flow of every you know, wind and doctrine that is out there today. Not to go with the spirit of the age, but instead to base their life on the scriptures. And I, and I close with this to you students and also to everyone else, but especially to you students who are younger, who have a lot of your life ahead of you. John Bunyan, author of uh, the classic Pilgrim's Progress, he, he wrote this in the front of his Bible. Some of you know what I'm going to say, right? He wrote this. He wrote, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That's a profound statement, and it's very true. Either this book will keep you from sin. How can a young man keep his way pure? By heeding the word of God. Or, this, or sin will keep you from this book. So as you go about the rest of your life, as you remember that, that quote, remember this scripture, remember that the word of God is perfect. God's revealed himself everywhere, okay? In beautiful places, but the most beautiful is in the word of God and specifically how it focuses on Christ Jesus because he's the answer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these Torah Psalms that you have inspired David and others to write, which really remind us of a couple things, God. It reminds us that you are not distant. You love us enough to reveal yourself to us and you have done so in brilliant ways, God, all throughout our universe. Thank you for the beauty of this world that no matter what language people speak or what country they live in, they can see that you exist. And Lord, we especially thank you today for your scriptures because they are perfect and they are the revelation of who you are to us. Lord, may we not take them for granted. May we see them as honey 
May we pleasure in reading the scriptures. And God, I know that some of us struggle with that. Some, some are, it's kind of a chore, but I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would give us a, a deeper desire for your word, Lord, that, that would grow, our hunger would grow for your word. Lord, may we see your word as a, as a signpost, a warning sign, God, to guard us and to keep us from sin. It's not meant to imprison us. I wanna, I wanna pray a special prayer, Lord, for our students here this morning, for children, God, who have so much of their life ahead of them, and yet, Lord, they need to grasp this truth, that if they will simply obey your commandments, if they will follow in your ways, God, they will experience life to its fullest. They will experience the true beauty in this world. But God, the lies of Satan are so strong and it's so easy to disbelieve that. So I pray over them, Lord, that you would guard them and keep them. Lord, be with our student ministry. Be with our children's ministry. Lord, we have young people that, are, that raise up, who follow in your ways. And yeah, make mistakes and stumble, but Lord, that they love you with their heart. I pray that this would be true for all of us, Lord, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen.